Inside Northwest Sports, Episode 6, recorded February 25th, 2016. Today, I welcome back Mason Hawthorne. He'll be analyzing the NBA trade deadline as it regards the Portland Trailblazers. But first, last week was a busy one for the Granite Curling Club and its members. On Saturday, the Brady Clark rink won their second national title, defeating Team Schuster 10-4 in the championship finals. The Clark Rink also featured local curler Phil Tilker and Fairbanks natives Colin Huffman and Greg Persinger. Later in the week, a presumably drunk driver plowed his Buick through the northwest corner of the club, coming to a stop on sheet one. The driver who fled the scene, leaving his passenger trapped in the car, has not been apprehended. Finally, on a brighter note, congratulations to Luke Violet and Ben Richardson for winning silver medals at the 2016 Youth Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway. They went 6-1 before conceding a 10-4 loss to Canada after seven ends in the gold medal match. Team Violet was joined by Kate Flannery of Minnesota and Cora Farrell of Fairbanks. We'll be right back with Mason Hawthorne to talk the NBA trade deadline. Here at Inside Northwest Sports, we want to bring you unique perspectives, in-depth coverage, and an alternative to mainstream sports talk radio. But we can't do it without your support. Visit patreon.com forward slash inside Northwest Sports to find out how you can contribute. Uh, you talk about the NBA trade deadline, and uh, first of all, uh, I'm a Puget Sound guy. Uh, Sonics haven't been around. I don't know what's. I don't even know what's going on in the NBA. Yeah, no, I hear you because I mean, basically, you know, the I think the big story in Seattle is always just going to be do we have the Sonics back yet, and everything else is sort of secondary to that story um, for certain. And actually, there's been some stuff recently discussed about. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this as people coming forth asking if there's a way to renovate key arena, which is weird because nobody really wants that. And there's no one really stepping up to take the reins, but it's been a thing that's been circulating around as a possibility to bring the NBA back. But no, uh, other than that, yeah, a big massive trade line occurred. We weren't part of it because there's no Sonics. And I guess, although only a small percentage of us basketball fans up here have done it, uh, you know, following the Blazers as the next Northwestern team, really. Right. Um, matter of fact, I mean, they were always kind of a sister city team of ours anyways. We entered the league at similar times and whatnot, and a lot of Seattle roots into Portland. Um, yeah, Portland's got to be a team. I mean, you're not going to root for the Thunder, right? I mean, I guess there might be a small percentage. It'd be interesting to do a poll on whether or not people felt closer to the Thunder team or the Blazers team, you know. Um, I think just the bitterness that most Seattle fans have about how the Sonics left make the Thunder just not an option to root for. Meanwhile, we've got a very good Trailblazers team just a little bit south of us that is kind of worth watching at the moment. Yeah, what did they do at the trade deadline? Well, like everybody else, nothing. It was a really lackluster trade deadline. There was a lot of big names that floated around. Um, you know, and historically, what you kind of end up doing, in a, you know, with the Blazers' uh, nucleus kind of went away, right? Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge is with the Spurs. 
they spent the last three years kind of just losing sort of solid veteran uh, major components to their team. And I think most people predicted that this was a rebuilding process and they were going to build a team around Damian Lillard, but they thought that would take a couple of years. But weirdly enough, they've won 12 or the last or 14 games. They're in a nice position. I think they're, they're sixth right now in the West. They're definitely heading to the playoffs. So usually in a situation like that, that's when you're kind of a buyer at the trade deadline. They have all these sort of second-tier talent dudes who are overperforming, guys like Mason Plumley. Uh, but they didn't do anything, nothing big, uh, nobody, no one that's going to be immediately in the rotation. And actually a lot of teams just sort of held their cards this year. It was really, like I said before, lackluster. Names like Kevin Love and Zach Randolph were floating out there, but none of those guys were dealt. I think only two players in the entire NBA that play more than 20 minutes a game were traded. So probably the least interesting trade deadline of recent NBA history, or at least as far as I've been watching. How does that affect Portland one way or the other? This might be one of those goofy teams that just doesn't know well enough to play bad. You know, they, they've they you know rattled off a lot of impressive wins. They've got a nice win streak going. They're sitting at uh, like some you know, number that they shouldn't be at. I think, like I said, they're going to be sixth. And they're doing it with this one-two combo of two scoring guards, which wouldn't have been a thing two or three years ago, but with the success Golden State has had, they're kind of like the poor man's Golden State um, with the McCollum and uh, Lillard both being 20-plus performers. And uh, I think they actually did something historic the other night. They had back-to-back games where both of them had 30 or more, which hasn't been done since 1980. Where they've had where a two like a duo a scoring duo, both had thirty point games and back to back nights. So they're fun to watch. It's a, it's a really interesting team. They got kind of a scrappy mentality. Uh, they're very well coached. I think Terry Stotts sort of probably thought he was adopting a work in progress and now sitting in a position where he has, succeed, has succeeded and could certainly end up with a coach of the year award if they end up you know continuing at the path or trajectory that they are on right now. And uh, and I like to see them. I mean, the, the games they're winning against these teams that are coming in thinking they're going to bully the, the Trailblazers around, and then not doing that is actually kind of fun to watch. Yeah, out of curiosity, for someone like me who's who's you know, stepped away from the game since the Sonics left, how has the NBA game changed? Yeah, well, just real broad. Like if you take the big the big paintbrush strokes, uh, you know what was working for, I guess the last generation of kind of you know known styles of play were sort of the the triangle offense with the, you know, Lakers adopting the same thing that worked for the Bulls and et cetera, et cetera. And then there was this idea that you had to have a, a big three, regardless if it was an inside-outside combo. You needed to have three guys that you could count on. And and then that kind of went away a little bit to, um, you know, defense. There's a lot of kind of defense wins championship return to that with the, the Pistons makeup. And then, uh, then it was the superstars. It was the whole, like, you know, everyone was hoping to see LeBron and Kobe playing against each other. That didn't happen. Uh, so right now what we're in the midst of, is, which is kind of fascinating, is no team had really, no guard-oriented team that was based off of jump shots that didn't have a big dominant, dominant big man had ever really won until this previous year where Golden State won. And Golden State has sort of changed the game in the sense that they showed you that you can, if you have two, well, really just one unbelievably good shooter and a couple other guys that can kind of shoot if that guy's double teamed, that you can beat these superstar-driven teams that have dominant big men. I mean, Golden State did not have a dominant big man, and they won the championship. And they are out 
to uh, uh, their record this year is on pace to beat the record for the biggest, the most wins. They're they're kind of in position to do that. So they're not only showing you that you can win with guards that shoot without a big man, but they're showing you that you can break NBA records with that strategy. So I think other teams are trying to copy that to some degree. It affects sort of the position that certain people have in the draft is less likelihood that it will be a big, slow, lumbering seven-footer and more likelihood that you take a 6'5 shooting guard that can get hot. So that's, I think, the way in broad strokes that it's changed. And the one caveat to that that I think is interesting, the one thing that's been constant in the last 15 years is regardless of which way everyone else is playing it, you still got to consider the Spurs and they just play fundamental basketball and win games. So those are kind of, I think, the uh, that's the subtext of this year's NBA season. What would you say drives that change and in, in what strategies win championships? Probably similar to other sports. I'm going to use football as the parallel. Uh, there's always a thing in football where if a team wins, uh, the main the, you know, the the main reasons that that team won, you see that then replicated in the next year's draft. Like, you know, if a running quarterback wins the Super Bowl, then running quarterbacks are are on the market, and you know, they go for higher or they get drafted higher than they would have if a pocket quarterback had won. We see that with the NBA all the time. We definitely saw it with the influx of foreign players, and then before that, the sort of high school boon of all the guys that went straight from high school and then came to the pros, and people were adjusting their uh, strategies based on who had succeeded in the years previous. What I think is interesting is it's sort of a flawed way of doing it because you're just not going to get a Steph Curry every year regardless. Um, you know, it's an undersized guard, a guy that had to switch from shooting guard to point guard to even make it in the NBA, and to not only make it in the NBA, but kind of create a new position where he's just this undersized point guard that can shoot from anywhere. I mean, you're just not going to be able to model after that because there isn't anyone else like him to do that. So, uh, so then it becomes the opposite where you're trying to structure a team that can deal with a guy like that. So the maybe is the opposite thing where people are looking for ways to scheme against a fast-paced outside shooting team. Um, you know, Cleveland was successful in a couple games last year. Uh, there was a lot of people who just thought at some point the shooters will stop shooting as well, but, you know, LeBron James will continue to be LeBron James and that he would carry uh, his weight into eventually, you know, uh, kind of like a heavyweight fight. Your fast guys are slow at the end of the day, but your big guy is still big. And that didn't work. So it would be really interesting to see how it plays out this year but in general, I think that those uh, changes on how you, you know, prepare for the winning teams of your era are largely based on can you do what they do, and if not, can you find a way to stop what they do. And a final note, congratulations to Maurice the Missile Jenik for winning the inaugural Snowco 300 at Trax Raceways in Muggletia, Washington. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and your favorite podcast app. Subscribe today.